Welcome to the Yoga Living Project podcast. This is Austin, and uh, actually, we may be having some changes soon to the name of this podcast. Something that goes a little bit more in line with, um, I don't know, what we do at Cambio, something a little bit more specific and simple. So we'll see how that goes. Um, today, we are talking to Leslie McWilliams. And we are speaking about Ayurveda, which is the sister science of yoga. Um, I'm really excited for this conversation. We had a great talk. Um, Leslie is currently a a new teacher here at Cambio, and um, she's been taking over the helm of the Ayurveda workshop modules in both our 200 and 300 hour teacher training. We both had the same Ayurveda teacher. I'm not certified, but the little Ayurveda education I've had um, was with Mark Halpern at the Colorado Institute of Ayurveda. So in this conversation, we talk a lot about um, basic what you need to know about why should you care about Ayurveda and um, how knowing a little bit about Ayurveda will help you enjoy the simple things of your life, help you bring a little bit more mindfulness to yoga off the mat. In fact, in a lot of ways, this whole concept that's so popular and trendy, this concept of yoga off the mat, it is encapsulated by Ayurveda. Um, And Leslie's such a great steward and shepherd for this knowledge and the tradition of it. And she's just so open-minded. And um, I've had the pleasure of working with her. I've been a client of hers. Um, So in this conversation, we open it up to... um, what you need to know, what not to do, and what you can expect and some of the different modalities of how Ayurveda can help. We get into a little bit deeper conversation around what meditation is and how it can go wrong. And ultimately, um, I think it's just a really authentic, spirited, and jovial conversation. Watch out for your scrub pocket. Okay, when you're listening to this, watch out for your scrub pocket. That's all I'm going to say. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy the conversation. As always, thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to um, hearing any feedback or maybe even seeing you at the studio sometime soon. All righty, here we go. Leslie McWilliams. Hi, Leslie. Hi. How you doing? Good. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Are you comfortable? Mm-hmm. I got the comfy chair. You don't get the comfy chair. It's okay. I, I have put a you cool in the hot outfit. Seat. You do have a cute outfit. I'll tip my hat to you. Thank you. <laughs> Are you saying my outfit's not cute? No, no. It's great. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, you're lucky I did put clothes on for this podcast. Oh, phew. Usually Thanks. when I do them on, f- on the phone call, I just do them in my underwear. Oh, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Like risky business. Yeah. So, Leslie, today we're going to talk about Ayurveda, mm-hmm. and um, first of all, let's start with, like, give me, like, a general definition of what Ayurveda is for people who have no idea what that is. Sure. So, the word Ayurveda, Ayur means life, and Veda means knowledge. 
So life knowledge, it's very broad, um, but we can use this in all phases of our lives and all illnesses and all emotional aspects, all physical aspects. So it's the tools given to us from these ancient rishis or sages that have lasted the test of time because it's based on the laws of nature. It can never fade. And it's just like the sun will always be the sun, whether we choose to see the sun or not. So we have this beautiful... Unless there's an eclipse. Right. (laughs) Unless there's an eclipse. Totally. And then I have glasses on, so I can still see it. So you can still see it. (laughs) So you have this beautiful Ayurvedic practice that includes herb therapy, uh, yoga practice, and um, self-care practices that all kind of blend into a harmonious lifestyle that leads us to a general life knowledge for our soul to exist. Awesome. harmony. So, so Ayurveda, from what I understand, it's like a sister science of yoga, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But there's a lot of like, um, gray area where Ayurveda ends and yoga begins or yoga ends and Ayurveda begins, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of crossover. Definitely. Yeah. They are one in the same, like a coin. You can't really have one without the other, but, um, a lot of things that are yogic aren't Ayurvedic and a lot of things that are Ayurvedic aren't yogic. Like, for example, the, mm-hmm. the yogic um, diet. Um, mm. You want to be the yogi on the mountaintop, you're going to eat mostly pranic rich foods. A lot of um, prana, fresh fruits and vegetables, usually raw. Mm-hmm. The Ayurveda doesn't necessarily condone that kind of a diet because it needs to be cooked. That would get your vata all... Right. Vapored. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, just be totally etheric all the time, which is what the yoga is. What is the is. yogic diet in Sanskrit? Is that Mrityahara? Mm, unsure. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, well, good. And I want to get more into that. So we're going to kind of just go around and, and we'll spiral this conversation a little bit. Okay. Because um, I do also, I want to get to how you got into Ayurveda. Um, but I think it's also important when we're defining Ayurveda to just quickly talk about um, from what I understand, the main mode of like kind of understanding how Ayurveda works is through the humors, right? The mm-hmm. doshas. Mm-hmm. So ex- just give me like a quick like elevator explanation sure. of what the doshas are. So dosha is D-O-S-H-A. There's also a food in Ayurveda called dosa. So not the same thing. Don't get, don't eat the dosha. Right. Okay. <laughs> so dosha actually means fault. Um, it's a fault line of our personality, our characteristics, our tendencies. And there's three main ones, vata, pitta, and kapha. Mm-hmm. So for example, actually you and I have a strong pitta doshic tendency. So anything that's going to happen is going to go on the fault line. What do you mean? <laughs> I'm totally winning at this podcast, Austin. What are you talking about? I will destroy your podcast. <laughs> So anytime you have um, a doshic tendency, it's always going to fall into your primary dosha or mm-hmm. your the one that's going for like the streamline of your life. And mm-hmm. you can have other doshic um, imbalances, but the rest of them kind of fall into place to create us. So all three are in every single individual in any infinite combination. You can be vata pitta, pitta kapha, mm-hmm. vata kapha, kapha vata. And that's when it gets complicated because you've got like, you've got like your Prakriti 
and your mm-hmm. favorite tea. Mm-hmm. Right? Am I saying it right? Yeah. What? Totally. No way. Yeah. So one is the one you're born with. So mm-hmm. you're born with these certain doshic qualities. Mm-hmm. Can we say doshic? Is yeah. doshic okay? Yeah. Okay. And so you're born with certain qualities and then you're also can those doshas can express through you or on you during different seasons and, and things like that, right? Absolutely. So even though I may mm-hmm. be like a like a pitta person born a pitta body, mm-hmm. I can go through seasons where I'm like suffering or excelling mm-hmm. with kapha or mm-hmm. bhapta. Absolutely. So talk about the three different doshas. Like mm-hmm. what are what is the so pitta we kind of explain a little bit about, but go into it just a cursory. Like the primary attributes? Yeah. So Winnie the Pooh is actually a really good example. So Vata Dosha is like Tigger. He's like boing, 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 boing <laughs> all the time, right? He's really exuberant. He wants mm-hmm. to share. He's friends with everyone. Mm-hmm. He won't stop, talk, stop talking all the time in a good way, right? He's really creative. Um, yeah. If I remember some of the storylines, he's always the one that wants to go off on an adventure, right? He's ready. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's Vata and... Um, Pitta is more like rabbit. He's always prepared. He's doing his taxes. He's like, hey, you guys, get in. The winter's coming. Like, no joking around. And a balanced kapha is Winnie the Pooh. Mm. He has so much honey. He's willing to offer. He has words of wisdom. Mm. He wants everybody to come join him. And the one kind of, I'm sure there's more characters than Winnie the Pooh, but a, a great example of an imbalanced kapha is um, Eeyore. Mm. He's very lethargic, he's sad, mundane, just kind of, okay, I'll do what you want, right? Yeah. So using Winnie the Pooh for Vata Pitta Kapha as that's just kind of how they are, well, whether it's out of balance or in balance, is a, a good thing to have in your mind. Got it. And now, like with chakras, things can go out of balance one way or out of balance the other way. Is mm-hmm. that true with the doshas? Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's kind of like a middle point. Mm-hmm. Um, but I imagine if it slides too far to the scale one way, it just ends up going into the other dosha, right? Because they're all related through the elements too. But Absolutely. From what I've learned from you and other teachers, which I've done some Ayurvedic training with your teacher, mm-hmm. Mark Halpern, mm-hmm. um, it's funny because it's like, you know, you've got like Pitta being the taskmaster and the achiever and the ambitious one. And that's mm-hmm. kind of like, it seems like everybody nowadays that you run into, at least in the yoga world, has a little bit of that mm-hmm. Pitta-Vata combo. Mm-hmm. And yet everybody wants to be Kappa. Everybody's like attracted to the Kappa, mm-hmm. but only the Winnie Pooh Kappa because mm-hmm. most of the Kappas I actually know are more like Eeyore than mm-hmm. Winnie the Pooh. Winnie Pooh is like such a rare, unique being in mm-hmm. real life. I mean, he does exist. Mm-hmm. I've met Winnie the Pooh. You're right. And we... It's more like a dog. <laughs> Aww. Like, Just come here. Give me your a Your dogs are kind of cop like Winnie the Pooh, aren't they? They are. Yeah, they are. You know, there's actually, in the Vedic text, there's uh, Ayurvedic veterinary medicine. Oh. Well, so right. Rad. Like, we were talking about my cat since I moved here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm getting her Miralax <laughs> so she could poop, and you're like, give her Trifla. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm going to have my cat on a steady diet of ghee and turmeric mm-hmm. soon. <laughs> she can be geegan. She geegan. I'm going to balance out my cat's doshas. Yes. <laughs> um, okay, cool. So so then let's go back to the beginning. Tell me how you started. So how did you get involved with Ayurveda? Yeah, it's... um. 
It's actually something I was almost desperately clinging to at one point, and now I kind of can look back over a cliff and say, wow, that was a really hard thing that I did by putting myself out there being alone, not necessarily lonely, but being alone. Mm -hmm. And it's led me to the place where my soul is the most beautiful and the most happy, and things really fall and surrender into place. Mm. But I've I've been a nurse for 13 years. I'll always be a nurse, a pediatric nurse. And somewhere along the way, I took a, a yoga, um, I think it was a workshop something or other, um, and they made me take a dosha quiz, and I was like, oh, I totally got a perfect score. This is, this is really, really good. And I was reading more about it. And then further in my education, I was like, oh my God, I did that quiz wrong. I have to go back and do it, like, and honestly answer. Because a lot of times on these dosha quizzes, you don't want to answer authentically because I don't want to be big boned or I don't want to have big teeth mm. or I don't want to be the one that's flighty. Who wouldn't want big teeth? <laughs> Unless you're a tooth model. Right? I, yes. <laughs> um so that was really interesting, but one of the key things is um, throughout this dosha quiz, I was like, okay, just sort of filed it away, and this is like eight or ten years ago, and they wanted me to buy ghee, and like, okay, one of the best things for you to do is eat ghee. I'm like, what the hell is ghee? I, at the time, I didn't even know how to what pronounce is ghee? it. Um, so it's very similar to clarified butter, but it's boiled, unsalted, usually organic butter, that no longer has lactose, casein, or any milk constituents. So it goes from a butter product to an oil. And once preserved and sort of, um, I mean, it's definitely cooked because it's boiled um, for an extended amount of time. It can last indefinitely, if not tainted with like, you know, you put the jelly in the peanut butter mm-hmm. or the peanut butter in the jelly jar accidentally Don't using a utensil. Don't do that with your ghee. No. So if it's unspoiled, untouched, un- no air or water can get to it, it can last 500 to 1,000 years. There are families in the Ayurvedic tradition in India that pass down ghee. The older the ghee, the more medicinal. That is awesome. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine? Yeah. I know, right? Oh, that would be so cool. I can't imagine it's actually not eating ghee? the ghee <laughs> to make it last that long. Yeah. Well, yeah, I wonder if... Because I know there's like fermentation processes, especially in like Northern Europe, where they've used some of the same like pits mm-hmm. where they ferment food for thousands and thousands of years. So it has all the same probiotics. Right. And stuff. That is really yeah. cool. Yeah. And the longer, you the longer the it same, sits. You can get some Davan Mantri ghee. <laughs> oh, uh, Lord Don Vantry? <laughs> Don Vantry, yeah. that's right. Yeah, that would be really cool. The original Ayurveda right? Yeah. teacher, right? Yeah, he carries the Amrit, the elixir of life. The Soma, and maybe it is a ghee. Yeah, who knows? Might as well be, for right. as popular as ghee is. Mm-hmm. So, so then they told you ghee, and you were like curious after you took the dosha test, mm-hmm. and then... It just kind of simmered, and I kept going to yoga. My yoga practice... Um, has always been a sacred place and I, you know, I kind of come and go from it, different styles and currently I'm really in love with kundalini yoga right now. (laughs) You don't say. You don't say. Um. I love kundalini. Yes. For the record. (laughs) For the record. I do. But it just kept uh, popping up. A, A little simmer became a boil and then it was never out of control, but it was like, you really need to do something with Ayurveda. 
something is speaking to you. And my meditation became stronger and I was really able to see it clearly that that's what I was supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. But of course I had self doubts. I'm like, how am I going to make money? And I literally thought to myself in a meditation, like I'm going to have to quit my job. That's insane. Right. But it actually wasn't that insane because well, one, it's working out. And two, I haven't been doing the same thing with no results. I kept doing different things with different results, right? And you did quit your job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I... But you went to school first. Right, yeah. I was overlapping for a time period, and the culture of Western medicine is definitely not <clears throat> encompassing the whole person, body, mind, and spirit. And especially working with kids, um, whether it be in the NICU, the PICU, or the emergency room, urgent care, mm-hmm. there was no compilation of how to treat this child to go forth out of the nest Mm -hmm. not just because they were born and okay let's raise them it was more like how can we get them to eat fruits and vegetables where it's not torturous right and you're a product of your environment so if you eat sugary yogurt all the time i think they call them (laughs) go-gurts yeah uh in right yeah that's what they should call them there's there's so much um that a child learns and they're not going to want the fruits and vegetables if they're going to have sugary yogurt. And amongst, I mean, the, the list is long. Of, right, but not just is... diet. If There's this disconnect mm-hmm. all the way to... I mean, that's kind of the beauty of Ayurveda is that it gives you a bit of a... I, I like the way that it gives you this template to deal with life in all of its manner, mm-hmm. but it's not so rigid where it's like, you know, you must do this or this is the only way to do it. There's still right. flexibility within template Mm -hmm. absolutely so you found mark halpern and that is a california school of ayurveda Mm -hmm. okay yeah how did you find them um through a another community member in the in the yoga um sort of bubble you know Colorado springs yoga bubble yeah okay yeah and i i logged in to their site and i called them and i went for a visit and i was like hmm really gonna do this and it's intense schooling Right? Yeah. It's not, it's no joke. It's not yeah, like, it's not, it's not like a, a factory, an no. Ayurveda black belt factory. Right? <laughs> no. And to be honest, it was harder than my nursing school. It was really, really hard. And, um, well, first, that's to credit, I think Mark Halpern, he's, yeah. he's pretty great. He's pretty stringent. Definitely have and to tip my hat to him because absolutely he was, he was one of my favorite parts of my 300 hour mm-hmm. teaching. Yeah. And he knows a lot. He's sharing a lot. He's written several textbooks and several um, general reading books as well. Um, But I was like, okay, I'm going to do this, but I'll just see where it goes. Mm -hmm. There was really no definite plan. And sooner or later, you come up to your your dharma, your life purpose, and it's like, you're going to have to do something. Like, either get on to the dharma boat or... (laughs) Or get out of the sinking boat, you know? Mm. It's like, oh shit, what, what, I don't, uh, I don't know what to do. And, and that was yeah. really hard. So the school was a full three years, not calendar years, but timeline, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. It was, it's broken up. Um, and I had a hard time pushing up against those boundaries. You know, all the what if and, oh, I don't have any monetary backing and whatever uh, the dharma boat's not always inviting no it's not it's very scary like this dharma boat could sink too Mm -hmm. but at least i went down knowing or if i was going to go down i was going to go down knowing that i tried my hardest Mm -hmm. 
And it really, you know, it's always like, lead with the heart, do this, right, from yoga. And it's like, recently, actually in Kundalini, um, I was discovering through this one really hilarious Kriya, where you, you lay on your back and snore, and everybody's in there, like, laying on their backs and just snoring like they have sleep apnea, and I was just laughing, and I was like, well, why in the world are we doing this? And he was, the the teacher was explaining that some of the heart, the, the chakra heart energy is part of anger, but if we really look at the emotion anger, it can be really leading and illuminating, courtesy of the pitta dosha. Courtesy. Right? Or it can be really damaging and you can burn the house down. Mm. And, and apparently when you snore, you vibrate the back of the heart, which is where the anger can reside and, and sort of harbor itself. So you're like percolating it and letting it move. That's a fun idea. Right, That's yeah. That's why I'm going to tell Laura. She was complaining this morning. She's like, you snored last night. I had to go <laughs> sleep in the other room. It's like, I'm, yeah. I'm just... I'm just percolating. I'm just evacuating the <laughs> anger from the back of my heart. Yeah. Chakra. Yeah. Totally. I like that. Mm-hmm. So, so what did that lead you to find? You, this snoring was illuminating and... So, I, I really had a... I, I went through an extreme hard time with my marriage and, and personal journey. And I hate my work. I hate everyone around me. And, and hate is a, you know, it's a strong word, but... It wasn't like I was just ready to die the next day. And, you know, Ayurveda didn't just suddenly save my life. But it, it, it illuminated certain things that I could do one thing at a time that became cumulative and pushed me into the Dharma of what, as a healer, that I'm really good at blending Western and Eastern modalities mm-hmm. to heal people. And so that entirety, I think, took about three years and... We're coming up on the tail end of that, and now I feel I feel like I can fly. My wings aren't clipped, and or like chickens, like they don't really fly right. I'm not a chicken. Mm-hmm. I'm like an eagle. Because now you're well, mm-hmm. you are. I mean, you just mm-hmm. started. Um, because <clears throat> you've been practicing for a little over a year, right? Well, so this is the really neat thing about the stringency of the school. They make you um, like six months into it. <laughs> sort of without your knowledge, they're like, um, you'll be starting a business, so please get an LLC, and you need a home office space. And that was never, like, given to us at the beginning, like, when you're signing your documents, like, like for school, like, regular college or something. Okay, you'll live in this dorm, you'll eat here, mm-hmm. right? There was, like, none of this. I'm like, wait, what? I'm being a business owner? Oh, I only signed up for school. And that's what I mean, like, I wasn't all the way in the, the Dharma boat. I just was mm-hmm. like, yeah, I mean, we'll see how it goes. Um, so six months into it, so two and a half years ago, actually, I started, um, at my home office and And it's open. So two and a half years now, Mm -hmm. right? And you've been already since then. Mm -hmm. Now you're part of our teacher training at Mm Cambio, both the 200 Mm -hmm. and the 300 hour, Mm -hmm. which we're super excited about. Thank you. Yeah. We're so thrilled about. Yeah. And then you're doing workshops. Mm -hmm. You're also doing farmer's markets, selling Mm -hmm. your own ghee and other products and you work with private clients mm-hmm. I mean you just got it going on yeah thank on all, you on all manner of speaking like yeah I'm trying but in my head it's really interesting uh, there's so many things I want to do just more and more Ayurveda mm-hmm. as much as I can do what are some of those visions you have well I'm not a body worker um, like a massage therapist or anything but I mean nothing says I can't but you know one person can't literally do, do it all mm-hmm. so 
part of one of the best healing treatments in Ayurveda is body, specific body treatments. Mm. One being Shiradhara. Mm. And this usually happens after an Ayurvedic massage, which is also very different than a regular massage, but warm oil is poured on the third eye and you're laying on the table. And some people, you know, have past life regression experiences, good, bad, or ugly. Um, but it's really calming to the Vata Dosha. And I don't have the means to do that in the facility that I'm in now, in the home office. Mm-hmm. But, but I'm you not... want to be able to do Shiradhara. Yeah, I'm not sure. Right. But and then things... just let people walk out with all the oil in their hair. Right, yeah. Into the world. It's crazy, though. When I do it, like I'll go like 12 hours without washing my hair if I can time it right. <laughs> you don't even know that there's oil in my hair because it all soaked up through my pores. I, I saw mm-hmm. you after Shiradara one time. <laughs> it was a little oily. You looked very <laughs> shiny. Yeah. You were glowing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so things like body work um, or or having like a, a true panchakarma center. Panchakarma is um, one way of cleansing. And we all think of like cleansing. Oh, that's a juice cleanse, right? I just kind of drink a lot of fruit juice and go to the bathroom a lot. But that's really not the idea of cleansing in mm-hmm. in Ayurveda. You should be able to eat, like I mean, eat real food, right? When you're cleansing, but it should be again for your doshic type, the seasonal type, and to not have electronics or not have your household duties or not have your partner there or your children. And there aren't very many centers, specifically in the United States, that kind of allow that to happen. And wow. if I could establish like sort of like the house of Ayurveda, it would have like a Panchakarma center, a body therapy center, mm. a consultation room, a yoga room to do, maybe go um, help with yoga therapy with, uh, conjoined with Ayurveda. Yeah. And this, this sort of spins off of this really, really cool place I saw in Portland and it's called Prasad. Mm. And it, it has nothing to do with Ayurveda, but it's kind of like an all-in-one swoop-down, eat-yoga-meditation journey all at once. And it's a very private area. So for me to run like everything like that, right, there needs to be like 20 more clones of me. Um, but you never know. Like People come out of the woodwork in Colorado Springs sometimes and oh, yeah. to collaborate. They will come, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, that's that's exciting. I love that vision. I mm-hmm. would go there. Mm-hmm. I want to go there right now. Les- I want to go to there. Yeah, Leslie's Les- House Les- of Ayurveda. Yeah, Leslie's yeah. <laughs> House of Ayurveda. Yes. Yeah. And like bring on the ghee. Yeah. Right. Oh. Okay, so let's get back to Ayurveda as uh, a practice and a sister mm-hmm. science to yoga, and um, a little bit about like why why would the normal person care or need to know. Um, so, I mean, we spoke a little bit about it in terms of what you were saying in terms of how sometimes Western medicine can fail the client. Um, so maybe just talk a little bit more about what you mean by how Ayurvedic is more comprehensive and how it treats the whole person. Sure. And that's actually a great question. You don't have to have something wrong or a symptom. And I think one of the best explanations I've heard of this is we go to a Western doctor or even a psychiatrist, they're not going to tell you or diagnose you with passive aggressiveness, right? There's so many like diagnoses that we have that aren't really a thing or, <laughs> right. or, or, or maybe aren't diagnosed, but are a thing like being passive aggressive. Like, the test came back, sir. <laughs> it appears you're just an asshole. <laughs> 
It's like, I yeah. got a feeling. Yeah, right? But you can start to learn these qualities about yourself, the people around you, your environment, why you like certain foods. Mm. We have a friend that eats um, sushi with, um, actually he eats wasabi with a little bit of sushi, mm. right? And mm. so... <laughs> wait, wait, so it's the other way around. A lot of wasabi on the sushi. And it's it's really interesting why people do that or why... Does he just drain sweat and... I don't, I think... Tears and snot out of his face when he does it? No, I haven't seen him do that. He, he'll he say like, oh, oh, wow, it's really hot, but... He can handle it, though. Yeah, he likes it. But the thing is, is these elements that you were speaking of, all five of them are included in every dosha. And, for example, pitta is a little bit of water and a lot of fire. Hmm. So somebody that likes spicy food is usually in a pitta state of imbalance, not being balanced. And that's the tricky part. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times that's where like early adopter or, you know, first level Ayurveda people can go wrong where it's like, oh, I'm pitta, mm-hmm. so I should eat spicy food. That's right. not necessarily the case. Right. Correct? Yeah. Because like wants to be like. So the Waldo Canyon fire, right, wanted to be, is a fire and it wanted to be bigger and it it's just the natural law of, element. of, of the fire, fire element, right? Mm-hmm. So fire wants to be bigger fire. So fire type people want to be more fiery, whether it's in their mind, body, or spirit. But when we go away from that, and it doesn't have to be forever, ever. Mm-hmm. Just maybe don't eat spicy food in June, July, and August and see what happens, right? You kind of got nothing to because lose. Because the season's already at peak fire. Mm-hmm. Like the heat, right, affects mm-hmm. us and right. affects the pitta. Mm-hmm. So then if we're eating spicy food, we've got the heat mm-hmm. manipulating things with this. Yeah, and then your dangerous. Your personality and your tendencies of your doshic qualities, right? Your prakriti that you were born here with, you can't change that you're a pitta type person. Mm-hmm. So you, you draw away from the spice and maybe your interactions with your boss change at work your interactions with your relationship um, with your loved ones change or your relationship with food changes and then you become much more sophic um, sophic which is pure and calm priestly, clear, uh, yeah clear because mm-hmm. the gunas relate to they're like the mental qualities of the physical the doshas are like the more the physical aspects right absolutely and the gunas are their Correlating aspects in the mm-hmm. mental form, mm-hmm. right? Um, right? And sattva is kind of what we're always trying to get to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Um, so I think it's really interesting because Ayurveda mm-hmm. is it is such a diet and nutrition orientated mm-hmm. kind of practice. Like there's such a huge focus on nutrition and mm-hmm. and diet. Um, and you know I know enough to just be dangerous with it, but I've, mm-hmm. I know that like you know. You want all the tastes in every meal to feel mm-hmm. satiated. And mm-hmm. Ayurveda's tastes are different mm-hmm. than what we might think based out of like the French culinary mm-hmm. tradition where we think, oh, okay, the umami doesn't exist in <laughs> Ayurveda, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but besides diet, how else can we create sattva if I have a pitta imbalance? So a lot stems from meditation. Mm-hmm. And um, I just went to my chiropractor this morning and he told me, hey, I saw this thing that said if you don't meditate, you need to meditate 
um, for 20 minutes a day. Everyone does. And if you're not meditating or you say you can't find time to meditate, those are the people that need to meditate for an hour a day. And I think that's great because we don't create new time, right? You just shift your priorities. Mm -hmm. But one of the biggest things comes from meditation, um, slowing down, Mm -hmm. saying no, and, and really unplugging. We don't have an opportunity in 2017 to really say, I don't want to hear the noise. I don't want to hear the music or see the cars or see the people and really go inside. Mm-hmm. But when we have a chance to do the things we love, are you rushing to do the things you love? Rushing through them and mm-hmm. not even experiencing them. Or right. Enjoying them, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a form of meditation, slowing down. So, yeah, and that's what I want to ask about. What are the forms of meditation in Ayurveda specifically? So if I have, like, a pitta imbalance, what type of meditation would you want to give somebody? Because, you know, somebody with a pitta imbalance, or maybe a better example is, like, vata. Mm -hmm. Vata is the quintessential, like, type of person who can't slow their mind down. They've Mm -hmm. got a million thoughts per minute, and Mm -hmm. they're not complete thoughts. They're just Mm -hmm. enough little, like, Mm -hmm. bursts of spontaneous stimuli to like get the brain completely distracted Mm -hmm. and in a whirlwind then to say to somebody like that just sit down and do nothing Mm -hmm. it's like the worst form of torture because Mm -hmm. how can they possibly do that Mm -hmm. but i have a i do have a vata friend Mm -hmm. you know her too she was one of your students in the teacher training Mm -hmm. um and the one thing that's helped her a ton is avyanga that's Mm -hmm. become her vata pacifying meditation Mm -hmm. yeah i think of it in forms of like good better best all meditation is good even if it's guided if it's walking um a lot of people kind of cite this thing called a shower meditation and i'm like i i'll buy that you know whatever whatever floats your boat right Mm -hmm. um but it's good A, a better form of that is a guided meditation where maybe they're going through the chakra system, or they do abhyanga, which is the practice of self-oiling. And once you have established a grounding presence with your physical body, then your subtle body can behave as you want. You, you have to be the master of your own mind. So the soul, sometimes the soul speaks louder than the ego, but you have to let it be quiet so you can hear it. So those people that are vata, like tigger-like, Mm-hmm. Um, do always have a challenge sitting still but can it be a walking meditation or can mm-hmm. you go find 20 different colors of green leaves right put them on a task that has a beginning and an end and pizza type people are actually really good at meditating but they're like I, I have 22 minutes I'm going to make it till the end and then I'm going to up it I'm going to do 102 minutes did like, you see that? I got I a just sticker. slam dunked mm-hmm. this meditation. Right. But that actually actually works really well mm. with pittas because um, a lot of my clients, I, I say, you know, um, reward yourself. Maybe get an essential oil that's maybe a little expensive or what is a goal you want to attain mm-hmm. or can you buy a new cushion or whatever it is. Oh, I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I th- that's something, too, I want to you bring up that I want to talk about is when, if somebody were to be like, you know, how do I know I need Ayurveda and what would a private consultation with you look like? Well, I truly believe that Ayurveda can help anyone and everyone. And like I said, you don't have to have a particular ailment or a symptom. But what's going to bring people beyond just like doing what they do? You know, like, I think this is a really important question, you know, 
um, with yoga too was mm-hmm. like I think yoga the, the easy buy-in a lot of times is like hey you know come in lose weight or mm-hmm. you know get your body moving get more flexible get stronger get you know mm-hmm. as one student put I literally back in the day we used to have why did you come to yoga on the waiver mm. and they wrote to get sexy that's <laughs> <laughs> like all right today we're okay. gonna sexify <laughs> um yeah but with that you know so there's there's an easy buy-in with yoga because mm-hmm. there's a consistent correlation between like okay if I do exercise, I will get fit, mm-hmm. I will get prettier, I will get whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, Ayurveda, when do you generally see people coming to see you? Because I would imagine more than not, it's probably people who are suffering first. Yes. Rather than just like, I feel great. The what thought probably doesn't do? pop mm-hmm. into people's minds to go see an Ayurvedic mm-hmm. practitioner. Yeah. Um, I would say a lot of it is where you are in your journey, of course, but I think a great example is the person that is eating McDonald's continuously, even say once a week, they don't know how good they can feel if they stop eating McDonald's. But when they do, they're like, whoa, that was life-changing. Like, looking back, either I can't believe I was eating that or it made me feel cloudy and dull, and I, I just had to take the step of not eating it, right? And with Ayurveda, it's like, I didn't know I could be that clear, or I didn't know I could be that harmonious, or I didn't know mm-hmm. I could I could live in such a way that allowed my soul to shine more than my physical body. And what what is the ultimate goal of life? I don't, I mean, it's an open-ended question, I don't know. <laughs> I'll get back to you if I find out. <laughs> well, I like that, though, because it is, it's, I think a lot of people end up eating McDonald's or whatever, you know, the metaphor of eating McDonald's, people end up doing the things that doesn't really serve them and mm-hmm. make their souls shine. Mm-hmm. Soul glow. Mm-hmm. Let's just say like that. If... Soul glow. <laughs> oh, wait, you're the singer. <laughs> no, you sing it. You sing it, girl. You know what I'm talking about, though. Um, but, you know, I think it's because people, it's they know it's not great for them. They know it's not serving them. But I think a lot of people just don't feel like, like, well, if I don't eat McDonald's, what do I eat then? Mm-hmm. You know, they just don't know. Right. There is definitely a lack of education. Mm-hmm. And is that our environment? Is it the money? Is it just being Western? Is it just being American? Like, I think there's a lot of multidimensional um, sort of, I don't know what to call them problems, but things that Obst- influence, yeah. Yeah, obstacles yeah. That, that influence us to do the easier thing that's very... Um, Stimulating. Yeah, heightened. Instantly gratifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. The thing that makes you just go, oh, that's a sugar buzz. Mm-hmm. But you don't, you know, but then you're suffering the sugar crash. Right. Absolutely. So, so you, you start to notice, I think, a lot of this is wisdom just as you get older too, right? I think definitely convincing like a 15 or 20 year old to seek Ayurveda is going to be a lot harder than seeking uh, or, or telling a 30 or 40 year old. Because we've just learned, you've come this far in your life experiences, like, oh, maybe I shouldn't drink alcohol till 4 o'clock in the morning when I'm 40, right? It's going to feel a lot different. (laughs) Oh, God. You know? Um, But also, when we try new things that are, one, out of our comfort zone, out of your doshic zone, 
it's going to be something that's pushing against you all the time. Because mm. so like, like Pitta always wants to be finishing projects or telling what people to do or being great leaders or being organized, mm. right? Um, if we ask them not to do that, it's going to be pushing against what they've established their entire life around. But then when they take a step back and say, oh, that was actually causing my physical body a lot of havoc and I, I didn't realize that. So just really illuminating certain things, certain poses, right? Mm. It's like, oh, that actually feels really good on my nervous system. Um, even Supta Baddha Konasana is, is really rejuvenating and vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And the people that don't do it usually have really, really tight hips. And maybe struggle with vulnerability, mm-hmm. perhaps. Right. Well, you know, actually, you bring up a really good point because I think about this a lot teaching yin class. I actually had mm-hmm. um, a guy, and I love that I'm seeing more and more guys in yoga. I always want to say that. Just whoever's listening to this, bring your dudes to yoga because totally. they love it. But, um, it's really nice to have the masculine energy. Yeah, there. it's so nice. Um, which is so ironic because, you know, for thousands of years that was it. They were just dudes. It was all men. Well, right. of course, that's what the history books tell us, but mm-hmm. we probably know better. Mm-hmm. You know, they just couldn't make it to you know, the patriarchy. Down <laughs> with the patriarchy. Anyway, um, but it was a guy who brought his friend, and they're both like big, tough, muscular dudes. You know, they look like they go to the gym or whatever. I'm judging them. Um, <laughs> not in a negative way, but just making some observations, you know. And then I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, okay, I better give this guy 411 about what to expect in yin because I've seen this this archetype mm-hmm. come in before and just suffer the entire 60 minutes. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, well, you are you aware of what, you know, is expected in a yin class where you're going to be holding postures for three to five minutes. It's all seated postures, it's all very chill. He's like, yeah. He's like, I need that. It's like, I have two kids and I work 60 hours a week. And by the end of class, like, and he was, like, he was able to really get into mm. it. But it was really interesting because looking at him, mm-hmm. I totally had... Uh, prejudged him mm-hmm. as being somebody who would really suffer through a yin class. Mm-hmm. But he came in with a, a shift of perspective about it, knowing like, okay, hmm. I'm going to, even though he is a pitta person, you could tell, he's just totally pitta. He's like, I'm here for a kappa experience, or mm-hmm. kapha experience. How mm-hmm. do you say it? Uh, traditionally, you say kappa. Kappa, okay. Mm-hmm. But with our American dialect, we, right. we usually say kappa. I want to say the right way. I want to say kappa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was really cool because after class he was, I was like, how was it? He was like, that was exactly what I needed. Mm. And there's such a, there, mm. you're right. Like this long story <laughs> just to get <laughs> around to say that like there is this huge disconnect in our culture between the things we want, mm-hmm. like that, like wanting, like that mm-hmm. fire, wanting to burn more versus what we need mm-hmm. or sometimes tempering that element or that, you know, that, uh, proclivity we have. Or balancing it mm-hmm. isn't always the natural or easy thing to do. Right, you have to go. You always have to swim upstream, go against the grain, go against what you know, mm-hmm. or even um, you know the person that's grown up in Nebraska on a meat farm. They don't know how not to eat meat, mm-hmm. but once they stop eating meat, they get a clearer sense of their life. Right, mm-hmm. and and this is really interesting. So this really ties into the the Suffolk diet. Okay. Uh, especially meat, but you know, and meat is a huge discrepancy right now in the world. Right. Actually, I think it has been for a very long time. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I was reading something by Dr. Frawley, another really wonderful established Ayurvedic doctor. And he said that the world will be at peace once we stop eating animal flesh. And I think that's so profound. And, you know, I by no means am I for or against veganism or vegetarianism. I think it depends on the person and if they can use it medicinally and how they're using it rather than what they're using mm-hmm. as that medicine. But, you know, to find the person that finds calmness and clarity and not eating meat comes in a lot of different forms right we've already discussed like you can be that way through yoga through your diet um through meditation through your ayurvedic self-care practices but once you just try it it's not gonna definitely not gonna hurt you there's no harm well in ayurveda i think that there is a lot of uh i think that's the beauty of Ayurveda's invitation is that it just simply says try this Mm -hmm. says experiment with it Mm -hmm. Um, you know so many people are so stuck into their habits and patterns that they won't try anything Um, it makes me think of what you're saying it makes me think of that maxim and it might have been Devantri who said let medicine be that no this was Hippocrates Hippocrates, yeah let food be thy medicine but there's a similar one in Ayurveda where too much of anything Oh, well, it's an Ayurvedic proverb, uh, proverb and I think it says, um, if food is of no use, then medicine is of no use, or... Wait, no, no it's, <laughs> it's, if, if food is right, medicine is of yes. no use. If food is wrong... Then medicine... Some, something. Somebody then, will Google that for us. Please Google it. <laughs> well, and there's, but there's another one, too, that I was thinking, where it's like, um... Oh, anything can be medicine, anything can be poison, yes. depending on the way in which that you take it. Absolutely. And yeah. even arsenic, right? Um, we, we think of arsenic and we're like... <gasps> Rat poison. Yeah, anything, right? Uh, along the heavy metal lines. And they use heavy, heavy metal therapy in India. It has to be for the right person, for the right reason. And you don't mean like Metallica. No. <laughs> <laughs> No, right? And if you're listening to Metallica, like, it's fine. You're probably in your jam. Just Unless... don't make my food with it. Just... <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, but yeah, anything can be used as medicine. And specifically meat in in Ayurvedic times, um, you know, 5,000 years ago, you would be given meat to heal, mm-hmm. not to just eat for the taste. But you see that right now with... Uh... <clears throat> The trend around like the bone broth soup mm-hmm. and stuff like that, like that's really popular in a lot of like metaphysical circles mm-hmm. where you know it's helping people um, with adrenal fatigue and autoimmune diseases and things and like that. And connective tissue, mm-hmm. um, really, and it can be absolutely rejuvenating. But the thing is, the type of people that need this the most is vata type people. Mm-hmm. The people that are probably consuming it the most are pitta and kapha, which does no good for them. How do I get my gains, bro? Where do you get your protein from? Um, <laughs> I can't get my gains, bro. So, yeah, uh, it, it is interesting, isn't it? I think, I, I, and I really like that aspect about, because um, I think with yoga, this exists in Ayurveda too, because in yoga, there is 
now with everybody becoming a yoga teacher and everybody falling in love with yoga, Mm -hmm. there's such a cultural appropriation around it Mm -hmm. or a um, disconnect from uh, tradition and there's this hackneyed kind of version of yoga. You know, I work Mm -hmm. with like corporate people a lot at a company in town and a lot of times they'll come in and they'll be like, oh, I tried yoga once and didn't Mm -hmm. like it. And it's so much about finding the right teacher because, you know, not, and not just because of sticking with the tradition, but finding somebody who resonates with you with their voice. But I think that it's the same thing with Ayurveda is that like you can kind of get a uh, superficial understanding of Ayurveda and kind of think, okay, so this is always true if this is Pitta or this is always Kapas in this case. Um, but I think that, you know, of the Ayurvedic practitioners that I've worked with who are really sincere and in depth with the knowledge of it are saying exactly what you're saying, where there's this not necessarily a one size fits all thing mm-hmm. that it's always to the individual case. Mm-hmm. Um, and this kind of actually brings us back full circle to my question, which was why would somebody want to s- seek private consultations? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you could go online mm-hmm. and Google, you know, www. I'm right.com, <laughs> you know, which is my favorite website, by the way, being a pitta. I love going to I'm right.com. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and then figure, you know, think to themselves, oh, well, I've got, you know, I don't know what it is, bad breath or mm-hmm. uh, jock itch or, you know, <laughs> or I'm balding or whatever it might be. And they look up these Ayurvedic cures for it. Mm-hmm. But literally, unless they're with somebody who has a experiential mastery of it Mm -hmm. they might actually make the situation worse or Mm -hmm. you know at the at the very least might not do any good for themselves and i think that you see that in yoga too Mm -hmm. where a lot of times people are like oh i'm going to yoga to get my back better Mm -hmm. but they're in this class with this teacher who Mm -hmm. you know i don't know i well that's that's a can of worms i'm Mm going to retract that statement (laughs) Hopefully they get their back better, let's just say that. Yeah, I think a lot of it is the power of intention. You're right, having a, a, a good guide um, and to find symptom relief. So constipation is a really a really nice topic in Ayurveda. So nice. <laughs> Plus, you know, I Poop mean... talk? I had Poop a... talk in general is like... Isn't that like 70% of Ayurveda? Yeah. And, you know, just for the record, I had a baby poop in my scrub pocket one day. <laughs> so at that point, from this was like seven years ago. Oh, I no longer Ayurveda. was afraid of poop. So even clients coming into me, I'm like, we're going to talk about poop. You can't and, be afraid of poop. Yeah. You were scared of poop before that? Well, I wouldn't say I was scared of it, but it definitely had me. You got a new relationship with yeah. it after baby poop in your scrub pocket. <laughs> Now, did you, so like, did you, like, work it out that way? We're like, oh, he's pooping. No. Let's see if I can catch this here. No? No, it was a newborn, and I lifted up his legs, and my scrub top was, like, <laughs> gaping where the pocket was, and he just got it, like, in the basket. <laughs> and it was when I was on night shift, too, so uh, it was so bad. Easy cleanup, though, right? Well, I had to. Off. Yeah, um... I think I was wearing an inappropriate tank top or something, but I got a scrub top from, like, the surgery center or something. Um, That's funny. So constipation is... uh, So is a really nice topic in Ayurveda because people don't really understand, like, what I'm eating seems healthy. Just Mm -hmm. like what you were saying, like, Mm -hmm. I'm doing the yoga. 
Like what? Doing what they say to do, what all the trends say to do. Right. What I'm right.com told me. <laughs> yeah. But take an apple, for example. Apple is healthy, right? An apple has lots of prana, life force energy. It's grown either here nor there. Maybe it's organic. But an apple is a very vata vitiating food. And people that like apples are usually vata type people. So they're they're battling with their constipation. Um, maybe it's just a once a week thing. Maybe it's only when they travel, but they're, they're constantly eating apples, maybe not for every meal and you're not getting to the root of the problem. Mm -hmm. So if they keep eating Vata type foods, they're always going to be constipated, Mm -hmm. but they don't know what those foods are. So that's where it starts to divide from kind of modern nutritional philosophy where they're like, Oh, you're constipated, have fiber. Mm -hmm. Whereas Ayurveda is like, actually... It's the we break elements. it down into the elements. Right, and really, really simplifying it. That's the really neat thing about Ayurveda is it's, it is, I mean, it's a complicated system, but what makes it sophisticated is that it stands the, te- the test of time and it's available for everyone. Well, it's complicated, but it's simple. Mm-hmm. So the elements... It's weird, yeah. Right? So just as a reminder, there's um, Ether, which gets forgotten a lot. We're like, Earth, Wind, and Fire. I love that band. I do love them, yeah. But Ether is space. It's expansive. And a lot of etheric people are very gifted in creativity or psychic abilities or leading with their intuition. They're also flighty as hell, you know, and we're like, come back down here from the ethers. Like, please, you need some earth grounding. We, ha- we have ether, air, fire, water, and earth. So an apple has primarily water and air. So water is great for vata, but is it able to be fully absorbed? Mm. It's usually just kind of a little snippet. And if you think of drinking like a Nalgene bottle of water, vata type people usually drink all their water at once. You're like, oh, I did it. <laughs> like right before. I'm raising my hand. <laughs> yeah. I'm a gulper. Yeah. So, but if you, if you had like a slow drip system, right, you drink like four ounces every hour or something, it would be mm. much more saturated in your body. Mm. So, so finding the different foods that are elementally available and conducive to your dosha are much more helpful. And I guarantee you, if you don't eat Vata-type foods, even for two weeks, and if anybody's constipated out there, try it, let me know. If it doesn't, I, w- I want to know about it. Um, well, you could, I wonder if you could put, like, something to balance it. Like, you could still have the apple, but balance it out by, like, dipping it in so peanut the, butter. The what, what would that... Peanut, it's interesting you say that, because peanut butter is very, very drying. So it's even more about that. <laughs> yeah, so you have peanut butter apple snacks, I bet. What about if but, you dipped it in cottage cheese <laughs> or ghee? Well, so no, let's go no dipping okay. because then we're getting Don't into, dip, into yeah. food combinations. And that gets complicated. Right? Yeah. That's when you need... Yeah, the, the food yeah. combinations is, again, like the, the, the tr- traditional nutrition, Western nutrition is like fats, carbohydrates, protein, et cetera, et cetera. Ayurveda doesn't look at that, just elementally. Which but is, by the way, extremely relatively new system. If Ayurveda? You compare that to, no, the fats, proteins, oh, yeah, carbohydrates. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's yeah. literally mm-hmm. 100 years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah, compared whole, to 5,000. Right. And that's just when we were keeping record. 
But say you're a Vata type person that loves apples, doesn't want to give up your apples. Okay, you can have your apples. Bake them. Mm. Or have them in the form of... So that takes the air out. Right. Oh. And you can put ghee in it, or you can put proper spices in it. Cinnamon, ginger, cardamom, mm. even cumin. Oh, I'm so hungry. Right? Tell me more. Yeah. Are we going to cook after this? We should. We should. Oh, we should have like a, a Kitchery cooking podcast. Kitchery. Mm-hmm. How have we not talked about Kitchery? I love it. Speaking of, yeah, yeah, that's the ultimate cleanser. That's my mm-hmm. favorite. Oh, I love Kitchery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's my, my favorite thing. Of all the things that I love that comes out of Ayurveda. Nice. Like, I love a lot of things, like Abhyanga. Why do you love it so much? I don't know. Just Kitchri, it's like, it is like um, comfort food for the developed part of me. Mm -hmm. You know, like there's the, there's the, the comfort food that I have for like the little kid in me. (laughs) Then there's the comfort food for like the, Mm -hmm. the, when I kind of shifted in my life Mm -hmm. you need rejuvenation yeah Mm -hmm. and it's it's a really powerful food so you know western nutrition it has fats carbohydrates protein and we add the vegetables so it can sustain you for an indefinite amount of time it's a complete meal because it and then people do kitchery cleanses Mm -hmm. and it's is it i've heard that it's Doshic balancing? So it balances it all three? Yes, and it, um, the word for that is tri-doshic. Tri-doshic. So regardless of what dosha you are, it depends on the spices that you add oh, okay. that make it either cooling or heating or neutral. Okay. Um, but one of the really neat things about Katri is you can do a cleanse on it, like you were saying, mm-hmm. and it's considered a mono food. And so mono food, like you can't... Uh, what I don't even I can't even make this up, but what is like the the like celebrity like grapefruit diet or whatever something like you <laughs> like know Atkins or whatever it might yeah be. and it's one thing and or or well, like Steve Jobs was foods. famous for the fruitarian diet where literally like he ate nothing but apples. Speaking of apples, <laughs> I read his bio and it was like yeah. at least according to the biographer right. he like spent like twenty five days where he would like eat nothing but apples right which and that was when he had cancer which is really neat so. If you've ever heard of the Gerson therapy for cancer ther- treatment, well, he did know about Ayurveda, right? I'm not. I'm not sure particularly. Siri is a name <laughs> stolen from yoga. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, actually, specifically, like Siri is the surname for every guy yoga name in Kundalini. So oh. Siri is like like uh, Danielson in Karate Kid. Yeah. Oh no. Sing is, I'm sorry, but Siri is used often. Oh, Sing, yeah. Siri yeah, yeah. is used often in Kundalini and it means like the greatest. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So when he named it, he had full well knowledge of Oh, that okay. But that's cool. Anyway, sorry to interrupt. Go on. But probably the reason why like some somebody like Steve Jobs was benefiting at the time from being fruitarian is because there's so much prana and that awakens your cellular intuition. And this is how people cure themselves from cancer is because there's so much prana, life force energy. So they don't eat McDonald's. Right, <laughs> most importantly. <laughs> they well, And the point, you know, I'm not bashing fast food or McDonald's. It's not real food is the problem. Well, and it's, well I think Ayurveda points to balance, right? Mm-hmm. So like, sure, have McDonald's if that's what you feel like you need. Mm-hmm. But again, if you're doing it every meal, mm-hmm. then you're going to end up becoming what you eat. You are. There's so I love talking about this too. I mean, there really aren't enough podcast hours to for me specifically to talk about Ayurveda, but um, it brings me to the eighty twenty rule. Mm. You know, 
if you're going to have the good chocolate 20% of the time, have it. Don't feel bad about yourself. Don't don't beat yourself up about it. And have the Oreos. Mm. I mean, see how you feel. If you feel like shit after, then don't have some more Oreos, right? But 80% of the time, you're eating doshically appropriate or you're combining appropriate foods together. And by the way, you should never combine fruit and milk. That's why I was like, no cottage cheese. Uh-huh. So, so proper food combinations too. Mm. And more importantly than any of this is how you eat, not what you eat. Okay. So bring me back Hit to, me. to Kitchery. Drop me some knowledge. Yeah. So bring me back to Kitchery. So if I make this wonderful meal for, for you, lovely Austin, and you eat it on your, in your car on the way to Cambio to teach a yoga class that you're kind of mad about doing... <laughs> The kitchery is not going to be well digested. It's going to create AMA, AMA, um, which is the the toxicity buildup in our body. If you go to McDonald's, are very reverent, thankful, sit down, pray over your meal, know that you barely have any money, but this is what you're choosing, um, or even even no money involved, like this is what I want, and I'm going to eat it wholeheartedly. And you feel good about eating it. That's actually going to be well digested better than the kitchery that I made with love. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the whole placebo effect, right? Mm -hmm. And intention and sankalpa. Mm -hmm. Actually, the yoga class I taught last night, I told a story about it. You gave him McDonald's. I I did a rough (laughs) rising for everybody. I said, eat this with reverence. (laughs) And it will serve you well Mm -hmm. until we get to Shavasana. Uh, no, but there's a story that I started class with last night because this week's theme at Cambio is Pratyahara, mm-hmm. which is, I think, really in line with a lot of what we talked about today, ironically, um, or coincidentally. But uh, it's a story about this guy who goes to see this great Zen master, and he says, he says, tell me what your life is like, what life is like being enlightened. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, when I get hungry, I eat. Mm-hmm. And when I get tired, I sleep. sleep. And he goes, well, how is that... I don't understand, Master, how was that any different from anybody else? And he says, well, when I eat, all I do is eat. Mm-hmm. When I sleep, all I do is sleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and in 2017, here we are now, it is very hard not to multitask. Yeah. And, and especially as a nurse, they make you carry a phone, you have four patients, you don't have enough, pharmacy's calling you, somebody's mm. pooping somewhere. In your scrub pocket. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's really, it it ends up being really stressful to multitask. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you're absolutely right. If you, if you're going to eat, just eat. And if you want to take a nap, please rejuvenate and just take a nap. You know, don't take a nap while you're watching TV or don't take a nap and try to watch your toddler or Mm -hmm. take a nap in the car or whatever it is, you know, Mm -hmm. please don't do it while you're driving. (laughs) Well, and I think that that really gets at the heart of Everything that Ayurveda, I mean, beyond just, like, it's saying find balance with these things, but what it requires to find the balance is a, is a new um, level or commitment to mindfulness mm-hmm. and really being thoughtful about the way you move through your day, the, the way you choose mm-hmm. sensory inputs, mm-hmm. um, you know, because Ayurveda, if I'm speaking right, you know, the idea isn't to, like, fix people, right? No, absolutely. That, like, the idea is that there's these three reasons we suffer, mm-hmm. right? And and really Ayurveda is to find a way to either balance those or remove those, right? To, mm-hmm. to create space from those. And one of them 
is sensory input, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, the three main causes of disease are misuse of the senses. Number one. Number one. In that order, which is pratyahara. So when you enter in pratyahara, or if you're in a float tank, you don't have this inundated sensory input. And watching video games, or just watching a screen, or driving by or hearing the light noise is so overwhelming. Mm-hmm. But if you just do one thing less electronic a day, it will invoke your pratyahara senses, mm. right? Or to, to help, uh, to, to invoke pratyahara to help your senses. Well, and you know, something I've been thinking about a lot lately, this came up in um, uh, something I was reading recently where um, a yoga teacher, Swami, uh, Swami Vivekananda Sarasvati, not the same Vivekananda from like mm-hmm. 1900 Chicago World Fair, um, <laughs> but like a current guy living out in Thailand who runs Agama Yoga. He was talking about meditation, and this goes back to the concept of vata earlier, where it's like, you can tell a vata, you know, meditation is really good for you, or they could find on imright.com <laughs> that meditation is really good for vata. Well, then they sit there and they close down the senses, but then the overriding thought is... You know, I'm not doing this right, mm-hmm. I can't stop my mind, I can't stop my mind. So then by the end of the 20 minutes, they have vitiated the vata even more. Or right. exasperated mm-hmm. it, as we would say in Western scientists. Mm-hmm. Vitiated is mm-hmm. a Ayurvedic term, mm-hmm. I know a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was saying how, you know, he had a really interesting point. Um, he was talking about how, you know, a good yoga teacher will tell you to control your mind, mm-hmm. knowing full well that one will never fully control their mind. Mm-hmm. And that... The real task of meditation is allowing enough stillness and enough silence to build your threshold for these things in your life and enough pratyahara that the mind just gets bored and the ego finally shuts off. Mm-hmm. And then you can drop into that field, mm-hmm. into that zone of beyond ego. And I, I thought like that, that was really cool. Yeah. But that was really interesting because, like you're saying, we can practice pratyahara, but if we don't have once we've turned off the senses and we've gone inward, if we don't allow something beautiful or something sacred, or we don't allow grace Mm -hmm. to exist, something peaceful, something calm within us, Mm -hmm. then it's really not doing us any good. Right. So the the first step, yes, like you got to shut that thing down, Mm -hmm. you know, from being just kind of like a victim of your senses. Mm -hmm. Like when we walk in the world, right? right? 2017 is like, it's like being a, warrior right yeah wherever you go it's just a constant inundation of the senses and then to shut that down and to not just continually to replay or ruminate whatever traumas we're suffering or whatever victimization Mm -hmm. we're suffering or whatever general stuff but to actually elevate Mm -hmm. the neurology Mm -hmm. the brainwave the thought pattern to a state of grace that's like like the work of these sister sciences yeah in my mind and part of, see, that's where your diet can help induce that. It can, mm. your diet can help induce grounding for the vata type person. Yes. Where maybe they can't do it by themselves. And I'm, like, I'm a huge testament to that because mm-hmm. diet has been yeah. huge for me. I, I have a question about this, and this would be, this is just a total oddball question. Is there an, a, a philosophical stance or ideology on ayahuasca in Ayurveda? Do they... Do they have an opinion about it, or does your teacher? So it's really interesting. So the only thing, like historically, that I've heard mirrors Ayurveda is Chinese medicine. 
But the really neat thing about ayahuasca, which is the Peruvian um, shamanistic journey, right? Of spirit, right? Yeah. Of spirit. But the thing that's very, very different about ayahuasca is you always, always, without a doubt, assuming you have a, a good location and shaman with you, is you're never alone. Hmm. Some people try to do this on their own, either with different hallucinogenics or drinking the Kool-Aid or whatever it is. And they're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go find my my spirit altar. Or my dharma. Or whatever it yeah. is. Yeah. Something, it can be good, bad, or ugly that you're going to go find, but they're alone. Mm. And this brings me into pranatagus and ogis, which are the subtle essences of each dosha. And you're, you don't have the container for ayahuasca to happen so you quite literally have a nervous breakdown right right this is exactly what happens in a schizophrenic type mind there's no there's a very very extreme lack of ogis so there could be a lot of tejas or mm-hmm. a lot of prana or both mm-hmm. but if there's not the ogis which is the container mm-hmm. then it's going to be a hot mess right it is so is there, because I think that the related one is um, Amrit or Soma, right? Like that's kind of the concept of, in yoga at least, they, you know, I know in book three of the sutras, they talk a little bit about, you know, to create, to induce a mystical experience, there's all these different recommendations. Mm-hmm. And one of them is to take drugs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's Soma or yeah. Amrit, which is kind of the origin story mm-hmm. of Ayurveda. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think... Um... Can you get some thousand-year-old Amrit, like <laughs> Maybe. the ghee? <laughs> Maybe. Well, also Blue Lotus, I think, has a tendency to do that. It allows you to go very deep into the ethers. Blue Lotus is a type of herb. Hmm. Um, you can get it in essential oil form. but Is it legal? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, totally. But again, are you doing this by yourself and you're just like, one drop on the tongue, here we go. You know? And what's the purpose of it? Right, and what's the, the power of intention behind it? But absolutely, I mean, humans are supposed to be high. We can get high in an appropriate way, in a balanced way. And a really interesting aspect of this is if you can't say, say you're looking for your dharma and you're like, I've tried all the things that are healthy. I can't figure out what my dharma is. Maybe having some sort, some form of herb intoxication is helpful for that if you're guided but generally speaking if you can do it on your own through the process of yoga or the process of kundalini and getting high naturally through our elements through our own body that's gonna well it's gonna better serve your physical body yeah and and i also think that and i'm biased because i've gone both routes in my life Mm -hmm. i've done a lot of the the kind of hackneyed soul searching of, you know, doing hallucinogenics. Mm-hmm. Um, but well, like you said, like alone, there wasn't a lot of structure to it. And I know that it works for some people really mm-hmm. well. Um, but what I always found was that those experiences were, were mystifying mm-hmm. where I always felt like, a, a, like a memory of like, wow, being dazed and seeing dazzling lights and mm-hmm. beautiful things. But the difference is when I get there through yoga, and I don't do any of those things anymore because getting there through yoga has become so powerful to me because those mystical experiences, I end up leaving with something greater benefit. Mm-hmm. Like not only to like my own consciousness and understanding, but also 
it's easier to return there mm-hmm. through these practices that I'm doing to myself rather than taking again from mm-hmm. an external source right. to invoke. So anyway, that's yeah. a tangent. I just want to ask you. So maybe we could add that to the house of Ayurveda. Well, and we could, yeah. <laughs> The ayahuasca, yeah. the soma room, the mm-hmm. omret room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll let you be in charge. That'd be the underground. <laughs> yeah, that'd be the underground Ayurveda. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, soma trafficking. Yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> omret cartel mm-hmm. of Ayurveda, Coral Springs. <laughs> um, well, cool. I think, what do you want to say to anybody listening that we haven't covered today? Because I feel like we've covered a lot. And yeah. It's been really great. It has. I, I really yeah. definitely enjoyed this. It's really fun. Where can people find you if they want to come see, you know, take an Ayurvedic workshop or um, or just to even get a private consultation? Sure. So I'd say the the best place is my website, which is ConsciousRootsAyurveda.com. ConsciousRootsAyurveda.com. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you can read um, snippets of Ayurveda and maybe make an appointment if it calls to you. I am available for any and all people. I have, um, working with intelligent yoga people is always kind of a treat, but right, there's no challenge in that. So I like, and it's really interesting coming from a nursing background, the harder the patient, I used to turn around and run at the hospital. The harder the patient in Ayurveda is actually more enjoyable for me mm-hmm. on my journey as a mm-hmm. practitioner. And, um, I offer six visits for three hundred and fifty dollars right now, and if you mention this podcast, I'll give you fifty bucks off. Oh, so nice. three hundred for six visits, um, and I do ask that people do them in a six-week consecutive timeline mm-hmm. because, as you can imagine, just learning about Ayurveda, it's like whoa, 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 slow down, mm-hmm. and you start to gain this momentum, mm. and when you gain the momentum, you make changes because momentum carries prana. Right, mm-hmm. life force energy, and it's also part of our breath. And when we change and allow prana to come in and help serve us, it's more percolating for a purpose. Mm. So, really establishing the six week timeline, whether that just be I want to eat more kale or I want to get rid of my high blood pressure or I want to poop. <laughs> yeah, I, I just want to go to the bathroom. I hope I get, can you get me to poop? In the <laughs> Please. Next six weeks? Please help me. Um, I I would be happy and, and welcome anybody that is interested in it. Or if you just want to know more about Ayurveda, you know, going through the process yourself, seeing where you can add or take away harmful foods or more medicinal foods for you that will really enlighten your dosha and bring you to a place maybe you didn't even think existed. Mm. And your life can definitely be more harmonious. It always blows me away when I talk to people about diet and nutrition and even in my own journey of like how ill-equipped we are in terms of our relationship to food. Mm -hmm. It's like we don't know why we eat what we eat. We don't know what to eat. We don't Mm -hmm. know when to eat. And it's like you think that that would kind of be job one of being a human. Like the one thing we need to survive we are completely mindless and right. disconnected from in this culture. Right. So, yeah, I think the work you're doing is awesome. I Thank you. love that you're bringing such a consciousness to um, this tradition in such a uh, honorable way. And, Thank you. like, I, I've definitely seen your career grow in ways that lets me know that I know that you're serving people in such a beautiful way. Mm-hmm. And um, now that we get to work together, it's great too. Mm-hmm. So, 
I just appreciate you so much. Thank you. And you can also find me at Cambios every Friday at 4 for a yoga flow. Yeah, yeah. And I usually say something about Kundalini and Ayurveda almost every time. And I'll leave you with this one last thing. My Kundalini teacher said, if it's not kind of loony, it's not Kundalini. <laughs> kind of loony? Kind yeah. of loony. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, which makes sense because if you've never heard about Kundalini yoga or you go one time and you're like, what are we doing? It is but it's a really powerful, powerful practice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I adore Kundalini. I adore Ayurveda. I adore you. Thank, Thank you, you so much. I like you too. Oh. Thank you so much. Namaste. Namaste.